take our Bibles today be turning to the Gospel of Matthew. We're going to be looking for a little while here in Matthew chapter 18 to that really commission the Lord has given us. And, and uh, we're just going to look at a passage that sort of uh, gives us really three different aspects of this great work, which I'll call the purpose, the work, and the reward of missions. Matthew chapter 18, and we're going to begin reading in verse 10. And um, Matthew chapter 18, if you have your place there, if you would stand with us for the reading of the Word of God, then we'll pray and get right into the message. In verse 10, uh, Jesus has been teaching about offenses, and it pertains to what the message will be about today but in verse 10 Jesus said take heed that you despise not one of these little ones for I say unto you that in heaven their angels do always behold the face of my father which is in heaven now that's an interesting statement in and of itself uh, Jesus said about offending people you know, you need to beware that you don't despise one of these. So he's talking about our behavior toward others. And then he says, for I say to you that in heaven, their angels behold the face of my father. And of course, that's, that's one of the places where people get the notion, the idea about a guardian angel. He says these young people, these people, people, and not just young in age, but young in their faith, that you be careful what you do because what you're doing is being watched by angels who've been re are reporting to God. So, and, and one thing it says to us is in our life, we go through life as though all we see and know and experience is what we can visually touch or feel. But in reality, our lives are linked with eternity. Our lives, whether we realize it or not, are linked to what goes on in heaven and what we do here is impacting what goes on there and then he goes on to say in verse 11 for it's a continuation for the son of man is come to save that which was lost how think ye in other words don't you think so or don't you agree with what I'm about to say how think ye if a man have an hundred sheep and one of them be gone astray Doth he not leave the ninety and nine and go into the mountains and seek that which has gone astray? And this was common, a common occurrence, common language for many of us. We don't have, live in an agricultural world, but I guarantee you, you know, Brother Wagner here, if he's got, he counts his cattle regularly, if one of them's missing, he doesn't just say, oh, well, you know, I still got a pretty good herd. No, he, he's concerned about the one that's lost. He said, what do you think about this? If you've got a hundred sheep and one of them goes astray verse 13 says and if so be that he find it if he finds that lost one where verily i say unto you he rejoiceth more of that sheep than of the ninety and nine which went not astray even so verse 11 he says it's not the will of your father which is in heaven that one of these little ones should perish and so i'm going to look at this passage today and just kind of summarize uh, again, what is the mission, what is the work, and what is the reward of this matter of evangelism and missions? Father, we pray that you'd bless our time together today in your word. Thank you for the scripture. Thank you for how it speaks to our lives. 
And Father, we want to be shaped, our thinking and our actions, our lives shaped by what we read in your word. And we trust you for that today in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. Thank you. Um, the first thing we want to talk about is just the purpose of missions. Look in verse 11. This is a very concise and powerful statement. Jesus said, For the Son of Man is come to save that which was lost. That, that's his purpose. Now again, this statement is a part of an extended teaching about offenses. It begins in verse 1 of chapter 18 and goes all the way down to verse 10. And basically, he was a question about who's the greatest, and Jesus put a child before him. He says, you must become as a little child, be converted, become as a little child. You have to be humble, come to Jesus Christ. But then he gives this strong warning in verse 6, whoever offends one of these little ones, this is powerful. Whoever offends one of these little ones, he'd be better off with a millstone tied around his neck and him be cast into the depths of the sea. And so what he's saying is the way we live our lives, the way we treat other people, our testimony, all these things matter. If you do something to offend someone else, there's going to be consequences for that. And we don't want to do anything, we don't want to say anything as believers that would hinder the gospel cause, that would hinder someone's spiritual growth. And that's why in verse uh, 7 he says, woe unto, the, woe unto the world because of offenses. Offense is someone who stumbles at something. Woe unto the world because of offenses, for it must needs be that offenses come. Things are going to happen that can cause people to, to stumble to be hindered, but look at what he's, the last part of verse 7, but woe to that man by whom the offense cometh. You know, people act, have this idea, and we mention this periodically, well, it doesn't really matter what I do or what I say or how I live my life, it's just my life. That's not true. And, and shame on us if we believe that's true. Jesus, Jesus is the teacher here, and he says people are going to be offended, but woe to that person through whom the offense come. It matters how we live our lives. And in verse 10, where we begin reading, Jesus said, take heed that you despise not one of these little ones. And that, that if you, on the surface, you may think, well, what does that have to do with this mission? Because in verse 11, he goes on to say, for the Son of Man has come to save that which was lost. This is his general purpose and mission. Jesus didn't come to turn people away. He didn't come to run people off. He didn't come to make it difficult for people. He came to rescue people. That's, why, that's his mission. He's always about rescuing people. He's always about helping people. That's why he came. And that ought to be what our purpose is about. That's why, you know, when it says in verse 11, the Son of Man is come. And that didn't just mean he came, you know, into the regions of Galilee or he came throughout Judea or he went to Samaria no, he came from heaven. That's why he came. That's why he came to this earth. That's why he went to the cross. That's why he spent three years ministering to people. That's why he raised from the dead. That's why he has reached out and through the gospel message and impacted our lives because that's why he came. That's his purpose. Now, I'm not saying that Jesus is not interested in other things. He is interested in helping people grow. He is interested in helping people deal with struggles. But the primary, if you were to had to somehow summarize and, and uh, in a very short mission statement say, why did Jesus come? This is why he came. He came to seek and to save that which is lost. He came to rescue people. 
And by the way, if he came for that purpose, doesn't it make sense that that ought to be our purpose? If we're his followers, you know, people are lost. That's what he described them as in verse 11. He came to help people that are lost, lost spiritually, lost in their sin, as we heard this morning in Sunday school, in a hopeless state, hopelessness is a desperate place to be in it. And yet that's where every lost person is. They're hopeless. They're separated from God. Using the, in verse 12, using the illustration, the example of a lost sheep, it says in verse 12, he went astray. That means he's, they, they've gone their own way. They're on their way to spiritual doom. And Jesus came to deliver them. Jesus came to convert them. Jesus came to accept them, to welcome them. And... You would know this, most of you at least, that this is not the only place we read about this. This purpose of Jesus is seen in numerous examples while he was here in his ministry as far as the gospel life and, and ministry uh, that he was teaching and ministering to people. The famous verse of John three sixteen: for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believeth in him should not perish but have everlasting, eternal life. The very next verse says this, For God sent not His Son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through Him might be saved. That's His purpose, that people be saved. On a different occasion, in Luke chapter 9, Jesus was passing through Samaria on His way to Jerusalem. And this is what He said, For the Son of Man is not come to destroy men's lives, but to save them. In another occasion, when Jesus had seen Zacchaeus up in a tree and invited Zacchaeus to come down and Zacchaeus was saved and he went to Zacchaeus' home, Jesus said this, for the Son of Man has come to seek and to save that which is lost. This is why he came. He didn't just say this once or twice or three times or four times. He repeatedly said this. This is why I'm here. I came to seek and to save the lost. And of course we're mindful of what we sometimes refer to as the Great Commission, as Jesus on more than one occasion gave this assignment to his churches in Matthew chapter 28, in Mark chapter 16, in Luke chapter 24, in John chapter 20, and Acts chapter 1 and verse 8. But you shall receive power after the Holy Ghost has come upon you to be witnesses unto me in Jerusalem and Judea and Samaria and the uttermost parts of the earth over and over and over. Jesus said, this is it. This is your marching orders. This is my command. This is my purpose. And sadly, there are many churches and many individuals in churches that are not about the Father's business. That's not really a great concern to us. We're concerned about our family. We're concerned about our our inheritance, we're concerned about our future, we're concerned about sickness, we're concerned about a job security, and all these things matter, but there's one primary purpose that Jesus said we should be about, and that's reaching people with the gospel. This is why he came. This purpose should be our purpose. This purpose has not been changed. This purpose has not been altered. This purpose has not been rescinded. And I would like to urge you as a believer, no matter how old you are physically, no however you are spiritually, that you would think today, I need to somehow make this my purpose. If it's the purpose of Jesus, 
It needs to be my purpose, not just my church's purpose, but it needs to be my purpose. We ought to embrace that. You may not be a preacher in the sense of a pastor, but you, all of us are to be preachers of the gospel, all of us to get the gospel out. There's, there's something amiss. There's something amiss in churches. There's something amiss in Christians. If, this is, if the main thing that Jesus said he came to do is not a part of our life, this is at the center of a church's missionary strategy. But it's not just viewed as a one-week or one-month emphasis on missions. It should permeate our personal lives. It should, it should be a part of our prayer life. It ought to be a per, part of our testimony. It's reflected in the way we daily live our lives, the way we train our children. We want to train our children to be conscious of the fact that we're here to let our light shine, that people could see the gospel through our lives and through our words. It's seen in our involvement, our giving. It's seen in our outreach in the church. And that's why... When we have a missions emphasis, whether it's a, a week of missions or a month of missions, in my own personal life, there's this underlying desire that it would not just impact what we do for the world, but how we live our lives today, how we witness to other people, how we share the gospel. Jesus did not come to destroy men's lives. He came to save their lives. The way we live our lives, not offending people. I don't want anybody to be able to look at our life and see something that we do or something we say or some way we, some action we take and be offended as far as the gospel is sake. This purpose should be our purpose. That's why we serve the Lord. That's why people are teaching children today in children's churches, why we have Sunday school classes and outreach and go to the nursing homes. It's, not, it's about this, Jesus came to save people's lives. So this is a time for us as a church, this mission's emphasis, to personally be reminded and embrace the mission purpose that Jesus embodied, and that is getting the gospel out. What are we going to do to get the gospel out? Let's make it personal. You know, I, I like to rejoice in what our church does, like Brother Lee. That's such an encouraging thing to me to see a missionary creatively using ways to get the gospel out, designing curriculum, putting these things together to place in the hands hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of miles from here to put Bible stories in the hands of children that may otherwise never hear the gospel. Much of these Latin American countries are filled with a false gospel, not the true grace of God that we know in Jesus Christ. So that's great for our church to do it, but what are you doing? Is it, did you have a part in that? Did you personally give to that? Have you, have you personally said, I'm gonna, we're going to pray together, we're going to talk to our children about this, we're going to get on board as a family to do something every week? Look what it says in this text in Matthew chapter 18, where it says in verse 14, Even so it is not the will of your Father which is in heaven that one of these little ones should perish. God doesn't want people to die in their sin. God doesn't want people to live lives separated from Him. It's not God's will. It's not God's will. It is God's will that we do what we can to reach them. And so we see first and foremost the purpose of missions. But then 
The second thing we see in this text is the work of missions. It's illustrated in verse 12 where Jesus said, If a man have an hundred sheep and of one of them go astray, doth he not leave the ninety and nine and go into the mountains and seeketh that which is gone astray? You know, there, if you look at this illustration that Jesus gave, you see three words. I'll just mention them. He says this man leaves, and it says he goes, and he seeks. That's action. That's the work of missions. It's not just believing something in our mind. It affects the way we live our lives. It's not just agreeing to the need. It's doing something about it. You can't go until you leave something. I think personally one of the reasons we sometimes are not willing to go go on visitation, go to the nursing homes, go give out the gospel is because we're not willing to leave. We're not willing to leave the comfort of our home. We're not willing to leave our family for a little bit. We're not willing to leave things we'd enjoy doing. But you can't go without leaving. And Jesus said this, here's the example. You understand this. He said, you understand. That's why he said, why think ye? You understand this. If a man had a hundred sheep, and one of them left. Doesn't it make sense to you that he would leave the 99, leave them, and go reach the one that's lost? And they could all relate to that. Sure. It was a, it was a rhetorical question. I'm sure they knew the answer to it. Well, the truth of the matter is, missions is work. It involves activity. It involves doing something. How could we be involved? How could we be involved in this great work that Jesus himself said, this is my main purpose? Number one, we've heard it over the last several weeks, but number one, these are not in a particular order, but number one, we ought to pray. We need to pray for those who need the Lord. We ought to pray for our missionaries. And the more we know them, the more we'll pray for them. I had communication this morning from a missionary from, that serves in Africa. I mean, we, we know these people. We, we talk to them. We communicate with them. They visit our church, and we ought to pray for them. We ought to pray for God to work in the ministries of our church. Ask God to open doors for our church. We ought to pray for laborers. And as we heard Pastor Y say when he was here, we don't, we don't pray for laborers like we're not going to labor, but we want other people to labor. No, he pray, he's told to the laborers, pray for laborers. We ought to be praying for people that will take the gospel. So all of us ought to be praying. Second of all, we ought to be going. We ought to be sharing the gospel with others. We ought to be taking the gospel, giving out gospel tracts, taking the message of the gospel to our neighbors, inviting people to come to church. We ought to be involved in it. You know, it's one thing to preach about this here in church, but what if, what if this week every one of us are prayerfully looking for opportunities to invite someone, to share the gospel with someone, to give someone the good news? The gospel is not just for Ecuador, as we heard this morning, or Panama. It's not just for other countries. It's for our country. It's for our community. It's for where we live. We ought to be praying. We ought to be going. Listen, everyone in this building knows this, but knowing this and doing it is something, again, something different. All of us ought to be doing it. 
You say, well, I don't know how. Just start. It's easy to give someone a gospel track. It's not that difficult to share the message with others. All of us ought to be going. All of us ought to be praying. And thirdly, all of us ought to be giving. We ought to be supporting the work of missions, supporting the ministry of our own church through our tithes and offerings, and supporting the work of missions. You know, for, for almost 30 years, we've had a missions conference or a missions emphasis in our church. And it all began with us transitioning in our church for what we believe is a biblical basis of supporting missions through grace giving. We heard a message about grace giving uh, when Brother Wise was here. But, but it's, it's a, what we call it faith promise, which means by, God, by God's grace, we're trusting Him and asking Him by faith that we could give something every week or every other week, every month, whatever the case might be, to the work of missions. And so almost 30 years ago, I think it'll be 30 years next year, that we began that as a church, and my wife and I, for the first time, began giving uh, something above our regular tithes and offerings to the work of missions. And God uses that, all of us collectively giving, supporting these missions and mission projects. And I know that most people here do that and have been for years. Some of you are new to our church, maybe you haven't committed to giving through faith promise. There's a place on our offering envelope to commit a part of what you give to missions. Ought to be above your regular tithes and offerings. And may, but maybe you've been here and you still don't do it. You don't regularly do it. I, I know there are people who love missionaries. They're interested in missions. They think about missions. But they're not personally giving to missions. And I just want to urge you to, to, to this year, this week, today, say, I'm going to start getting involved in supporting the work of missions. You know, I, I know it's God's will that we reach people with the gospel. And I know it's God's will that I be involved personally as an individual believers. And uh, we do, all of us should do these, at least these three things. We're going to give, we're going to go, and we're going to pray. Even about giving. You know, I, I said again about the man with the sheep. He had to leave the 99 to go after the one. Same thing about giving. You're going to have to get, you may have to give up something if you're going to give a certain amount. Um, I'll just, I'll kind of, I won't tell you what we give, but I'll tell you how we started giving. My wife and I, uh, back in 1992, uh, at that time, our church was giving missionaries our, our, our personal support for the dozens of missionaries that we support was $50 a month for those missionaries. And we, we thought in our mind, again, this was 1992, this is our first conference. And we thought, well, if we're going to give a missionary $50 a month, then if we gave $12.50 a week, personally, we could support another missionary. I don't mean we're individually supporting them. It means our giving will enable us to add a missionary. And that's kind of how we started. And that was a good place to start for us to, and, uh, and I know there are people that give many times more than that every week to missions. People have their own amount. They pray about that. But the point is we ought to all be doing something. You say, why are you pushing this so much? Because it means so much to me that we do everything we can while we can to reach people with the gospel around the world. This is God's work and it's God's will. It's not His will that any should perish. He wants the lost to be saved. He doesn't want them to perish. He's not willing that any should perish, 
But all would come to repentance. So missions, I believe missions should be important to us because every reasonable Bible Christian knows it's important to God. And a person might say, I know people would say this, well, I'm just really not into that. And maybe some people have never been exposed to this. Maybe this is your first opportunity to really think about missions in a real way, in a personal and practical way. But other people know these things and yet still dismiss it and say, well, you, but I'm telling you, if, 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 when I'm, if I were to look at this, look at the truth, look at what Jesus is about, look at the fact that my church has a plan to reach people with the gospel, and I'm going to say, well, I'm not going to do it. What I'm saying is what's important to God is not important to me. It is important to God, and it ought to be important to us. This is his purpose. This is his purpose. So we see in this passage the mission that Jesus gave us, the purpose, the purpose of missions. And then we see the work of missions. It takes involvement. And then I want to close with this thought. This text also talks about the reward of missions. In verse 13 it says about if he finds this sheep, this lost sheep, if so be that he find it, verily I say unto you, he rejoiceth more of that sheep than of the ninety and nine which went not astray. There's rejoicing when the lost are saved. There's rejoicing when people are rescued from darkness and rescued from their lost condition. We, we heard about this uh, mission uh, verbalized in Luke chapter 14 by song. Go out and compel them to come in. And that's what we're supposed to do. But then the very next chapter after that, after Luke 14... And Luke chapter 15, you know, Jesus was being criticized for this. Think about this. He was being criticized because he was eating with sinners. And the Jewish people were criticizing him. We talk, heard about that, that conflict between the Jews and the Gentiles this morning in Sunday school. But Jesus told his critics, when they criticized him for being seen eating with sinners... He told them the similar parable that we see here in Matthew 18. He said, he gave me actually three examples. If a man had a hundred sheep and he lost one and he went out and found that, he would come and gather his friends and neighbors and say, rejoice with me. It was a great rejoicing. Then Jesus talked about a woman who had ten coins and she lost one of those coins and when she found it, she caused her friends and neighbors to rejoice with her. And he said, likewise, there is joy in the presence of the angels of God over one that repenteth. And then he told about a man who had two sons. And one of those sons went astray. But that son came to himself, the prodigal, came to himself and repented and came back to his father's house. And the father called for a celebration. My son that was dead is alive now. He was lost and he's found. And the servants of the father began to make merry. It's a, it is a rewarding thing to reach people with the gospel. I've seen it happen many times in our church where someone invited someone to come just to have them come and hear the gospel, but then to see them get saved. What a rejoicing. It's rewarding. It is rewarding to see God work in people's lives. It's rewarding to hear of people being helped, seeing these videos, seeing these reports from foreign countries. It's rewarding. It's personally rewarding when we hear of fruit being born through our efforts. And the rewards, the rewards are in this life, many of them. 
I wouldn't want to live a life. I would not want to live a life that's not directly involved in trying to get the gospel out to people. It's not the life God wants us to live. It's not the will of God. That is not God's will for us in this life, period. That we're not doing what we can to reach people with the gospel. But not only the rewards in this life, the rewards in heaven. We're le- Paul said this. Paul was writing, Paul was sent out of a church in Syria. The city was Antioch. Paul was sent out of the church in Syria, and on his second missionary journey, he crossed the Aegean Sea to Macedonia. And Paul was able to see a work started in Philippi. And God loved the Philippian people. And when he wrote to them, the church in Philippi, not his home church, a sending church or a missionary church, a supporting church, this is what he said. He said, I don't rejoice just because you give me your money. I'm paraphrasing, of course. But he said, I rejoice because this is fruit to your account. You'll never, we'll never know. We'll never know till we get to heaven. Those of us who pray and those of us who give our resources, we'll never know. People get saved, you lose touch of them. People in other countries are getting saved, we'll never know them till we get to heaven. But what a wonderful thing. You're talking about reward. It's a rewarding thing. It's a thing to be rejoicing. The thing that ought to, you know, I, I rejoiced last week when we found out that the mortgage had been finally paid for this building. I'm, I've been, I'm still rejoicing over that. But I'll tell you the, great cause, the greatest cause of rejoicing is seeing people saved. Seeing lives changed. Some of that we'll enjoy in this life. We ought to enjoy it in this life. But some of it we won't even know about, but we'll rejoice about it in heaven. There's, there is rejoicing in the presence of the angels when people are getting saved. So we see in this passage just a kind of a brief summary of the purpose of missions. And it's Jesus' purpose. He didn't come to destroy men's lives. He came to save them. He came to seek and to save that which is lost. But we also see the work. Like the shepherd leaving the 99, it takes work. It takes giving and praying and going and getting involved. There's something special about a church that's busy about the Father's business. But thirdly, there's reward in it. In this life and in the life to come. As I close today, I want to ask you two things. Number one, if you're not saved, if you're not saved, you're lost. And Jesus came to save the lost. He came to save you. And if you're not saved, if you're not saved, there's only one thing that's going to save you, and that's a relationship with Jesus Christ. You ought to come to Him today. By faith, you ought to come to Him. And then, if you're saved, let's be honest, just between you and the Lord, but let's be honest. Is His purpose your purpose? If someone were to follow you around, listen to you, look at your life, could you honestly say, could they say, this man, a part of his life purpose 
is getting the gospel to people. And if we couldn't say that today, we ought to say, Lord, I want to make your purpose my purpose. I want, to, I want to have this as a part of my reason for being here. To reach people with the gospel. And if you're, if you, and by the way, I'm not asking you to do something I'm, I don't ask myself. Many times in my life, I've had to kind of recalibrate my life and my priorities and say, no, I've got to keep this at the forefront of what I'm doing. As a Christian, not as a pastor, but as a Christian, as a believer. Let's make his purpose our purpose. And a part of that, I'm going to, during this invitation, if you have your faith promise card and you say, well, I'm, I believe this is what God wants us to give, wants me to give this year to missions, whether it's $10 a week or $50 a week or whatever it is, some weird amount you want to have, whatever, write it on there. And during this time of invitation, while heads are bowed and eyes are closed, why don't you just come and just fold it over so nobody can see it and just come and lay it here on the full platform. Be your way of saying, this is what I want to do with God as my helper. I want to do this for missions. Let's bow our heads together for a moment with our heads bowed and our eyes closed. Our Father, we ask you as the Apostle Paul asked you on the road to Damascus, Lord, what would you have me to do? Father, it's one thing to rejoice in hearing stories about missionaries and meeting people like Brother Elam who came to see us and Brother Jacob who faithfully serves you in a Muslim country and Brother Gibson whose church is just working and serving and giving and printing literature to go around the world. We all are happy about those things. But God, we want to be involved personally, giving and going and praying. So I pray you'd lead us as a church, help us individually. Help us, Lord, not just to be spectators, as we heard last week, but to be participants, to be involved. I pray today, if there's one here, Lord, that's not saved that today, today, Lord, they would have it in their heart to humbly turn to you in faith and trust Christ as Savior. Lord Jesus, thank you for coming to this earth. Thank you for what you came to do, to seek and to save the lost. God, thank you for what salvation means to us, not just for when we die, but for how we live. And we're so thankful for that. We give you the glory for it. 